0: So we're just about done. You could be seated. We're just about done with our semester-long series on uh, warriors and prophets. And I've been so blessed by the previous speakers who have been showing us what it means to be like the prophets and warriors of old and how we can better be in our walk with Christ. And today I want to talk to you about a prophet that we don't speak too much on, the prophet Ezekiel. Now, the text I want to show you right now, is what I believe is the saddest passage of all scripture. The saddest passage of all scripture. Ezekiel chapter 10, uh, verse 4, and then we'll skip down to 18 through 19. So just three verses for our time together today. So we'll start with Ezekiel 10, verse 4. It's on the screens. Then the glory of the Lord went to the threshold of the temple, and the temple was filled with the cloud, and the court was filled with the brightness of the glory of the Lord. Verse eighteen. Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. Verse nineteen. When the cherubim departed, they lifted their wings and rose up from the earth in my sight, with the wheels beside them. I don't miss this part. And it stood still at the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house. And the glory of the God of Israel hovered over them and later departed. Today I want to speak to you on the topic, wake up, wake up. Can you just turn to your neighbor and tell them, neighbor, can you just wake up? And if they're sleeping, feel free to poke them in the eye and tell them, wake up. Can you wake up? Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I just pray that you'll give us the strength and you'll send whatever you got to do to wake us up. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I hate wake-up calls. Like, I sincerely hate wake-up calls. Like, if I'm sleeping, don't text me, don't call me, and especially don't FaceTime me, because sleep is precious. Anyone want to feel that way. If I'm sleeping, listen, I'm a college student, There's too much that I go through. There's too much that I do for you to wake me up and bother me. But the real reason is that uh, I sleep like a rock. I remember being 10 years old, coming home from school, and I was exhausted. Not because of school, but because the night before I stayed up playing Mario Kart. Yeah, I'm about that Mario Kart life. (laughs) And so I come home. I'm tired. I'm worn out. And I go up to sleep around 7 o'clock p.m. The same day, my parents were... Uh, painting the living room in in a Hispanic household when there's a project going on the whole family gets in on it so my cousins are there my aunts are there my uncles are there everyone's there together helping out my parents paint the living room now they were painting the living room white and someone had the bright idea to put some of the paint in a container like almost like a bottle well my little sister being seven years old didn't know uh, the difference between paint and milk. So I remember while I was upstairs sleeping, uh, my sister, little sister, went, took the bottle because she was thirsty. She wanted milk and drank from that bottle. Now, you can imagine the ruckus going on downstairs. My, my parents, when they saw that she passed out because she couldn't breathe, started going crazy. My aunts were yelling. My mom was yelling. Every, it's just a crazy chaos that's happening downstairs. They call the police, the the ambulance comes, and and, and the sirens are blazing, and and, and they all leave to the hospital. And can you believe I slept through this whole thing? This whole entire time while all that was happening, I slept through the whole thing. I remember waking up around 10 o'clock, and no one was at the house. There's always people at my house. But no one was there. Like, what happened? And the next morning I find out that my sister drank the paint. And uh, they had to do all these different tests and they did all these things. But she, she's living today, thank God. But I sleep like a rock. And so, of course, my mom had to be very creative and trying to wake me up for school. My mom has done everything in the book from ice cold water to really warm water to coming in with her chancleta, slapping me. John, you better get up. To, which I think is the most clever way, uh, she went in and changed the, 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 the hour of my clock to an hour and a half later. She came in, John, John, you better wake up. You're late for school. I looked at my clock. I'm like, oh, no, it's 830. I can't be late anymore. And, and rushing downstairs and getting ready, my mom's just chilling at, at, at the living room table, drinking some tea. Like, mom, you got me that time. But my mom would do everything she can to wake me up. But it's just, I don't know what it is, but I just sleep like a rock. I don't wake up. And sometimes I I wonder, what did God do to wake me up spiritually? Because I'm hard to wake up physically, but I can just imagine spiritually. Like, God, what did you do? How did you wake us up spiritually? And really, that's what the whole Bible is about. God trying over and over to wake up his people. So God sends the prophets trying to tell his people, it's time to wake up. And over and over and over again, they reject God's call. They deny his call. And what's sad is that these prophets aren't like Jonah. Which Jonah came and and his message was for the Gentiles. And we have one of the greatest revivals of all time. The whole city of Nineveh gives their life to God. But yet these prophets aren't like Jonah that can go out to the Gentiles. These prophets are for the Israelites And over and over and over again, God is trying to wake them up. But yet the Gentiles were were, were more innocent than the Israelites. The Israelites were more sinister. See, there was widespread idolatry. They built up temples on all the high places to all the different gods. They would practice all these religious uh, uh, pagan practices like witchcraft and fortune-telling, to even sacrificing their own sons and daughters to foreign gods. All of these ways were, were different ways that they rejected the calling that God made out to them. And the more and more God called, the more and more Israel rejected God. Oh, but they recognized that they were God's chosen. Or for, to put in a different word, they were God's Remnant. Oh yeah, they knew about the blessings of God, but they didn't want to listen to the commands of God. They recognized that they were the most blessed out of all the others. But yet, they didn't realize the curse that was coming to them. They knew God was sinless and perfect, but what they cannot bring themselves to recognize was their own sin. And they continued to sin, thinking that the smile of God was upon them. But they didn't recognize and realize what was coming their way. They felt that they were secure, but they were farther from the truth. So eventually God said, you know what, I've had enough. I can't dwell with you people anymore. Your sin is too much for me to bear. I've been trying and trying, but you're not even listening to me. You're denying me. And so that leads us to our text, Ezekiel chapter 10. I want you guys to look at this. Then the glory of the Lord... Went to the threshold of the temple. Or in other words, the glory of the Lord, the presence of God, which we knew would, would, would be in the most holy place. But this time we see we're seeing God make his grand exit. He goes to the threshold or the entrance of the temple. And the temple was filled with the cloud, and the court was filled with the brightness of the glory of the Lord. And look at what happens. Then the glory of the Lord departed. What word? Departed. What word? departed from the entrance or the threshold of the temple. God is making his grand exit. No longer is he dwelling in the most holy place. Like he, like he wanted to dwell with them. But now he's leaving them because of their sins. Let's keep going. Verse 19. And here we see, when the cherubim departed, they lifted their wings and rose up from the earth. And in, in my sight, in Ezekiel's sight, with the wheels beside them. And they stood still at the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house over the what? The glory of the God of Israel, or the presence of the God of Israel, hovered over them and later departed. So here what we see is that God is departing, but he doesn't just leave right away. What he does, he hovers over the city of Israel, looking at them and just thinking in his heart, man, Israel, I've called to you so so many times. I've sent so many prophets, I, I've tried and tried and tried, but you keep denying me. What is going on? And don't we have a story about Jesus, who when he was making his triumphal entry into the gates of Israel, he looked at the city and what he do? started weeping. Why was he weeping? Because he remembers all these times when he kept calling out to them. But they kept denying him over and over and over again. So I believe this is the saddest passage of all scripture because here we see the heart of God. God called over and over again to the people of Israel. But they became lost in their sin. They didn't have no direction. God's presence meant nothing to them. So God departs. But you know what's the saddest part of all of this? I bet no one even noticed. Didn't anyone notice that God's presence was no longer with them? Didn't they notice that the cloud that would surround the temple of of, of God to let them know that God was with them? Didn't they notice that the cloud was no longer there? Like nobody noticed, not one, not the people, not even the priest. Nobody noticed that the glory of God had left them. And after I read this passage, I had to ask myself, man... What if the Holy Spirit would leave us? Would we notice? Would our lives be different? Would our programs be different? Would our church services be different? Would our church be different? Would our lives be different? So the glory of the Lord departs from the Israelites. And you know, we, we all had best friends that we no longer talk to. Like there was a point in our lives where, where we, we couldn't live without them. We would tell them everything and, and, and we would enjoy to be in the presence, but we're no longer talking to them. Why is that? I truly believe that constant communication leads to consistent relationships. Now, it doesn't have to be the, 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 the quantity of, of the communication, but the quality of it. As you talk with, with, with your best friend and, and you're sharing these personal things, these intimate things, and you do it constantly, it becomes consistent. Their presence means so much to them. But without communication, you grow apart. Their presence becomes less and less important. Their advice starts to mean less. You start living life without them and you're okay with it. Constant communication leads to consistent relationships. And I believe the same is true about our relationship with God. The more meaningful time you spend with God, the more meaningful His presence is. But the less time and less communication you are in with God, the less what? His presence is meaningful to you. Why? Because consistent communication leads to consistent relationships. I, I remember a couple years ago, uh, one of my friends invited me to go mountain climbing. Now if you know me, you know that I don't, I'm not the outdoors type of guy. I don't like... Climbing stuff. I don't like hiking. I'm not a big rock, uh, 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 rock climber. Whatever these people be doing outside, if I'm going outside, it's to play basketball and it's to drive to get some food. That's all I'm doing. But he's like, John, I need you to come with me because we're gonna go mountain climbing. I'm like, no way, bro. There's no way in the world I'm gonna go with you. But he's like, no, John, come on. You have to see the view from the top. I'm like, bro, I don't care about the view from the top, man. I could look at pictures. You can show me a video. I'm not climbing that mountain with you. And week after week after week, he's like, Bro, come on, you need, you need to come with me. You need to see this view." And just because I was tired of him mentioning it to me, I was like, "You know what? I'll go with you one time, and then after that, I need you to stop talking to me about it. I don't want to hear about this mountain anymore." Like, I remember that day, it was a Sunday, and he picks me up in his car. And when I see him, I'm like, "Wait, are, are we going mountain climbing, or are we going to join the army? Cause he had his camouflage suit on, long pants, uh, like special boots to mountain climb. He had his huge book bag with water and food and all these different things. And literally, all I had was my cell phone, a sh- uh, basketball shorts on, basketball shoes, and a T-shirt on. And he looks at me. He's like, "Wow, John, you're you're really unpre- unprepared." I'm like, "Yeah, thanks, bro, for telling me. Like, like <laughs> you're a terrible friend." And so we start driving to uh, uh, the mountain. In my mind, I'm, I'm just thinking, like, I hope it's not too long of a walk. So we get there. And as we approach the mountain, I'm standing next to him. I look up. I'm just like, oh, my Lord. This is the tallest mountain I've ever seen in my life. And as I'm trying to tell him, like, you know, we should actually turn back. He's already, like, 10 feet in front of me. He's already walking up the mountain. So here I am. I have to jog up to catch up to him. Like, oh, wait for me. So I don't know. I don't know my way. So an hour went by, and another hour went by, and another hour went by, and we're not even halfway there. I just asked him, like, bro, where are you leading me? Like, where are we going? And he tells me, he's like, John, don't worry. The view from the top is absolutely beautiful. I'm like, bro, I don't care about no view from the top. I'm just doing this so you can get off my back. And so here we are, we're climbing, we're talking, and I'm starting to enjoy his presence a little bit. We're, we're, we're talking about specific things that's going on in our lives. And then we get halfway. And I'll never forget this moment of turning up to the halfway point. There's a sign there that says, hey, you're halfway. I'm like, thank God, finally. <laughs> and I was able to look out and see the view. It was absolutely Beautiful. Like being able to, to, to feel the cool breeze rushing over you and, and see the valleys and see this, the city from far off and see everything, hear the birds. And I'm standing there like, man, this actually is kind of beautiful. And my friend was just like, yo, wait till you see the view from the top. And I'm telling him, I'm like, yo, you know what? Actually, this view's pretty nice. Like, I'm good. Like, I, we, could, we could turn back. You know, I started rushing back to, to go down the mountain. He's like, no, no, no. Come on, John. Let's go. We're going to go up the mountain. I'm like, bro, why? What's the point? He's telling me, John, you have to see the view from the top of the mountain. I'm like, man, will not you just stop talking about the, the view from the mountain? I don't care about that. But here we are. We go up. And another hour went by. And another hour went by. We're out here almost five hours. And still we're not at the top of the mountain. I'm like, bro, where in the world are you taking me? This is, this is no regular mountain. And so near the top, we, we were almost at the top of the mountain. Something happened a couple years prior before we went that there was an earthquake near that area. And to go to the top of the mountain, there was a, a, a narrow passageway that you had to go up and turn. Well, it turned out that, 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 that the, 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 the way to go there collapsed. And so it was about maybe the distance from here to about right here collapsed. And so we get to this point, and I look at him, and I'm so upset. I'm like, bro, you brought me to all the way here so that we could just stop right here? Like, you, we, couldn't, we can't even get to the top of the mountain? And I kid you not, he looks at me, smiles, steps back. I'm like, wait, 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 what are you about to do? He goes, and just like, like a ninja, just whop, just jumps. And I look at him, like, oh, nah, nah, bro. Ugh. Like, I'm I'm gone, I'm leaving, like, I'm not doing this. He's like, John, come on, just jump over. I'm like, bro, I am not jumping over a a collapsed roadway. There's no way. And I remember I was trying, you know, to to build myself up. Like, yeah, you know what? I'm a man, I got this, I'm not worried. I go to the edge of it, and literally all I see is all the way down. I can't even see the bottom, like the the, the bottom of the mountain. It's all the way down. I started thinking, like, if I would die here, this would be like the least epic way to die. Like, that would be terrible. My mom would would, would kill me, but I'm already dead. And so I'm standing at at, at, at the end of this this roadway. I'm just like, nah, bro. He's over there, like, John, come on, come on. Like, don't you believe in faith? Come on, come on. I'm like, no, no, no. I believe in many things, but this is not one. But then after a while, he kept convincing me, like, John, I'll count to three. And just jump your highest and jump your farthest. I'm like, you know what, we're already here. I have to go all the way back down and not get to the top, like, that would just be disappointing. So we're st- so I'm there standing and he's like, all right, John, you ready? You count to three. One, two, I'm getting ready. Three, I go, I punk out. I'm like, no, nah, I can't do this, bro. <laughs> I, know, I can't do this. He's like, no, no, come on, we'll do it again. One, two, three, I punk out again. And it just happens... A couple of times, and then the last time, I'm like, you know what? I'm getting over there. I don't care. So I, I you know, I, I go back a little bit so I can get that, that jumping speed ready. I'm about to go full blast. One, two, three. I run as fast as I can, and I'm just like, please don't fall, please don't fall. And I jump, right into his arms. I'm just like, yes, I did it. But then the thought hit me. I'm like, wait, how do we get back down? I'm just like, oh, no. My friend got me with that. So I remember turning up uh, to the top of the mountain and just standing at the top of the mountain. Now, it's something that is so hard for me to explain. But it just comes to my mind right now. I can just see just all the valleys, all the green valleys, the cities from far away. I can see the birds flying in, in our mist. I can hear the birds chirping, the, the different animals. I, it, it was a, a scene that I can't explain to you. You just have to experience this because of, the, of, of just the, the, the magnificence of this moment. And I remember telling myself, man, this was worth it. This was actually Worth it. And I remember feeling a peace that I just couldn't even express. And I was thinking to myself, I don't want to go back down. I wish I could stay right here. And I'm there for about 10, 15 minutes, and my friend's like, Man, this game is getting late. We got to go back. And we go back down the mountain. And can you believe it? Actually, the next week, I brought one of my own friends to the mountain. And halfway, he was like, Man, this view is amazing. I was like, "Yo, wait till we get to the top, man. It's will to be awesome." But it was something that that that, that going halfway could no longer satisfy. And you see, I want to compare this to the mountaintop with God. Once you've been to the mountaintop with God, it's not enough to hear about the mountain. It's not even enough to see the mountain from far from far far, far away or learn about how to climb the mountain or strategies or methods. No, it's not enough to even hang out halfway. Once you've been to the mountaintop with God, nothing else will will satisfy. There's a hunger. There's a thirst. There's a longing to continue to go deeper and farther than you've ever been before. And I believe we need to seek these mountaintop experiences with God. Because that's what really changes us. See, Moses went up the mountain filled with despair and doubts. But he came down glowing from his time of God, reassured about about God and, and, and his life with God. Elijah went up the mountain wanting to die. But he came down the mountain filled with hope, filled with purpose and a desire to live. Jacob went up the mountain filled with a lack of identity and thinking he was cursed Yet when he came down the mountain, he came down blessed by God and given a new identity. And Jesus, oh, and Jesus. Jesus went up the mountain, a dead man walking, scorned by men, betrayed by the ones he loved, wrongfully accused, and would die on a wretched cross. But three days later. But three days later... He would come down the mountain filled with power, filled with authority, and no longer a dead man walking, but a dead man living. See, when we go up the mountain with God, he takes our burdens, he takes the things that are st- stressing us, and he turns it into our favor. He turns curses into blessings. Now, I need, you, I need you to understand that our job as Christians is not to bring people to church, but to, be, but to bring people to the mountain. We've been trained and to think that church is a mountaintop experience with God, and although it points us to the mountain, it's not the mountaintop experience. You see, we we've become accustomed to settling for Moses. See, the people of 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 Israel, they were supposed to go up the mountain with Moses, but what happened? They became too too fearful, and they said, "No, no, Moses, you go up the mountain. You talk with God, because if we go, he's going to kill us. This is too scary." But what happened? Moses came down and told them all about his experience with God. But isn't it sad that they, they, they could have experienced that for themselves. But because they were too scared, because the mountain seemed too scary or, or, or all these different things, it was too uncomfortable. They settled for a Moses experience when they were supposed to experience it themselves. Could it be that we've been settling for Moses? Man, who's speaking at church today? Man, who's worshiping today? Oh, it, it, she's worshiping? Oh, I'll go. He's speaking, "Oh, I go." And we come to church settling for, for people, but what, what, what about Jesus? What about experiencing God in a practical way? You see, I've realized that it's my mountaintop experiences of God and being in that, and being in His presence daily that allows me to worship even more when I'm in church. See, before I even go to church, I've already been at the mountaintop of God. So no matter where I go, I'm ready to worship. I'm ready to, 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 to praise God. But we've been settling for Moses instead of settling for Jesus. And at the top of this mountain, where you'll find, it's not just a beautiful scene and and the beautiful valleys and all that, but what you'll find is a bloody cross. But this bloody cross points to a beautiful Savior. So, friends, I need to ask you have you been to the mountaintop with God? Are you relying on, on, on hearing about it from far off? Have you been relying on, on, on just seeing it from far off? But have you been at the mountaintop with God? Because once you're there, nothing else will do. Nothing else will settle. Nothing else will, 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 will take that place that you have with God. So there are three groups of people I want to appeal to today. I believe the message is simple. I believe that God is calling us to go deeper and farther with him. There's three groups of people I want to appeal to today. The first group are those who have never been to the mountain. You've heard about the mountain. You've maybe even, even thought about going up the mountain, but you're like, no, nah, that's too far. That's, that's too high. I, that's too scary. But today you're like, man, I really do need to experience that for myself. I'm tired of hearing about it. I'm tired of just going to church. But God, I want to experience you in a practical, uh, uh, explosive way. That's the first group. The second group are those who you've been to the mountain, but it's been a while since you've been there. You've been complacent with where you're at. You're like, man, I already already been there a couple times. Like, what's more, what's more to see? But today you're like, man, I, I need to go back and revisit. I want to experience God in a practical way. And the third group are those that not just want to go to the mountain, but you need to go to the mountain. Perhaps you have some burdens or tribulations you're going through. And you feel like no one can help you with this. Perhaps you have questions, God, what am I going to do after I graduate? God, what am I supposed to be in this major? Lord, how am I going to get through with all these financial burdens? God, I need you to come through for me. If you relate with any of those three groups, again, number one, you've never been to the mountain, but you want to go. Number two, you've been to the mountaintop, but you've become complacent. But you're saying, God, help me to, to continue to seek you and go to the mountain. Or third... You need to go for a specific reason. If you relate with any of those three groups, I just want to ask that you stand to your feet as we close out in prayer. And the beautiful thing is that it's not about us just going by ourselves. But just like my friend, the Holy Spirit is the one next to us. Like, man, John, I think you should go, go even further. Come on, John, keep going further. God, I'll, I'll, I'll lead you. I'll, I'll guide you. And the Holy Spirit leads us farther and, and closer to God. Than we could ever do by ourselves. So, this is not a, a, a works by faith sermon. No, no, no. This is a faith sermon. God wants to use us in ways that we can never even think or imagine. And once we get to that ledge where it may seem kind of scary, He's going to say, Come on, you got to jump. It might be scary, but you got to jump. You got to trust me. And so, with that, I just want to ask if there is anyone here who has a specific burden as we pray, feel free to raise your hand as, as we pray. Let's close out. Father God, Lord, I just want to thank you so much uh, for the opportunity uh, to seek you, Lord. God, you know that we're we're sick and tired of just the average Christian walk. We're sick and tired of of hearing about the mountain or even seeing it from far off or or hearing people about their experience at the top of the mountain. But Lord, we want to experience you at the top of the mountain by ourselves, Lord. We're tired of, of just hearing about it or just knowing about you. But Lord, we want to know you. God, we want to have that constant communication with you. So Lord, may you take our faith further than these walls. May you take our, 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 our hope and our dreams beyond anything that we can imagine. May, may you use it for your glory. And may, may it's all say and done, may we just say, it was from my mountaintop experiences that, Lord, you've shown me the way that I should live in and where I should go. God, I, I just want to pray for those who have never been to the mountain before. And, and today, Lord, I want to say, God, I want to be there. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide them, not just to the mountain, but through it. That you won't just give them faith to walk up the mountain, but give them faith to walk up and down constantly. That they will fear nothing and they would bring people to the mountain as well. Lord, I want to pray for the second group of people who've been feeling apathetic and complacent or just been so busy they haven't been to the mountain with you. Lord, I pray that you would just block off times, Lord. Slap them up, whatever you got to do to wake them up, Lord, and guide them to that mountain. Regardless of how they feel, Lord, bring them to there and let them, let them know that, God, you want to show them everything you have planned for them. Lord, I want to pray for the third group of people, those who not just want to go, but, Lord, but they need to go for a specific reason. Lord, maybe they're uh, a Moses and they, they have questions, they have doubts. Lord, I pray that you will just answer all those fears, God, maybe they're, they're a Jacob and they're struggling with identity. They're struggling with what, what major to be in or, or what to do after college or, or where to go. Lord, I pray that you will show them direction and give them a new name. And Lord, I pray for those who, who are feeling overburdened. Lord, just like we read earlier, uh, your burden is light, Lord. And you desire the best for them. Lord, may you reassure them in their walk with you. And God, when it's all said and done, I just pray that our name would be found in the, the book of life, Lord. Standing at the mountain of Zion worshiping you all together where we will never have to depart that place ever again. Thank you so much, God, for the opportunity to worship with you and to worship with our fellow brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for coming. You are dismissed. God bless.
1: So we are here with our most recent speaker, John Gonzalez, former RVP and current student chaplain here at Campus Ministries. And before we begin with our questions, we're just going to ask him our very first question, tradition. What is your favorite dish cooked by your mother?
0: Uh, that's a tough one, but if I had to choose one, it would have to be mango, which is like uh, mashed plantains uh, on top with some uh, grilled
1: onions And, of course, olive oil uh, drizzled on top. Excellent. Sounds good. Um, And I wish I was having some of that right now. (laughs) So the first question is, how would you summarize your sermon in one phrase or sentence? So if someone were to ask you, hey, John, what did you preach about? And they're in a hurry. What would you say?
0: I would pretty much say say like this. um, Our strength comes from our private time um, on the mountain with God. Um, and the mountaintop is not um, exactly a physical place, but more of a, a metaphor to say, "Hey, have you been? Um, have you been alone with God today?" Um, I use the mountain analogies because I think it worked really well. Although I, I know someone came to me afterwards and, and said, "You know, sometimes the the best experiences I get with God are not on a mountain, but in the valleys." But I would say to that is that I think there's a lot of times where we think we're going through valleys when really God's trying to take us to the mountaintop. Um, And so pretty much uh, that's how I summarize it.
1: So I think in visiting the mountaintop, you kind of uh, talk about, you know, going there continually and seeking God there, but also in the valley, too. But I guess in specifically for the mountaintop. I think a lot of us think that when we continue to go to God on a consistent basis, asking Him maybe for forgiveness and for guidance, we could see that as a sign of failure. Like mm-hmm. he, like like you know, kind of going to your mom and saying, "Oh, I have to go to her again, and ask for forgiveness because I, I burned the chili for a third or fifth time." Mm-hmm. So how do we fight that and maybe put it into a positive light?
0: Yeah, I think there's this false narrative that we can somehow achieve perfection, and we and we have this type of ideology with. Even with relationships, like it's so tough for us to say sorry or to admit uh, uh, um, where we failed, um, but understand that that the cross isn't something to be ashamed of, it's something to boast in. That's what you know. Paul says, "I, I boast in the cross," because it's 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 it, it's our source of strength. It's our it's our power. So realizing that the cross is actually beautiful, and that's why I try to point out that. You know, being on the mountaintop with God, yes, you see the scenery and all that beautiful stuff, but there's a cross, a bloody cross that points to a beautiful Savior. So recognizing just the significance of the cross as well as not being ashamed to say, hey, I'm not perfect. Um, but again, we have this false narrative of we can somehow achieve perfection right now. So if I'm going at the cross or admitting that now I'm, I'm weak, then somehow that's a sense of failure. But I'll say, say if you're not admitting your weakness, um, I don't think you've— really been to the cross because once you look at the cross, you're like, man, I really am messed up. I really am uh, um, um, weak to the point where, God, I need you to make me strong. And so for me, I think it's a sign of actually strength when we go to the cross, not weakness.
1: So I'm going to ask just a quick question off the cuff here. Uh, do you know of an experience that you experienced specifically that led you to see the value of, of Valley experiences, the value of Valley experience, excuse me?
0: Yeah, I think when I first got to Andrews, you know, I felt, convicted to become a pastor i didn't know really what, what that looked like but i came to andrews and just realized um i guess my lack of study my lack of devotion um i was like man god i really need to 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 visit you more and then as desire of ages i think page 83 i could probably be wrong on that but it says how um we should spend at least an hour every single day thinking about the cross and, and what jesus did for us um and so I think God showed me that my valley experiences were really um, God using, using it to, to, to help me climb up the mountain. Um, and so just a shift of perspective
1: as well as just realizing my need for God, that's what drove me to the mountaintop with God. So to round out our discussion here, I just want to ask you, what compelled you to preach the sermon? Was it an experience that you saw uh, through your friends or in the world in general, or is it something personal?
0: Yeah, you know, I really, really struggled with this sermon. Um, I was asked to speak on, on a prophet. I just chose Ezekiel because I, I assumed I was going to uh, speak on the, the dry bones and, and, and tell an epic sermon with that. But as I studied the life of Ezekiel, God led me to Ezekiel 10 and just seeing that the presence of God left the temple. Um, and then just ideas starting to stir. And then just this idea of, man, um, What we realize if the Spirit left us today? Um, will we be aware of that? Will we be able to acknowledge that? Um, and 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 just God just led me to this idea of man the way that you don't don't um, don't leave God or don't uh, don't get to that point where where the spirit leaves you is if you're spending time with Him and this idea of a mountaintop experience because um, climbing up a mountain is tough work as I told in the story it's, it's tough work um, but the beauty of it is not just the destination but the journey right the process. And, and this idea that there's, there's going to be a time where we'll never have to come back down the mountaintop. You know, the reason why we come back down is to bring people back up, right? But it's come a time where or on the mountain design that we will never have to leave again. So I, I think it's just a, co- a culmination of different things that led me to this point. But it was tough. Um, a couple of days before that, I, I, I woke up in the middle of the night and I felt like this wave of depression. I'm like, what is going on? And it literally literally felt like the spirit of God left me. And I was wrestling, I was upset with God, and I was like, God, why does it feel you're so far away from me? And then I remember being up there speaking and still wrestling with God as I'm speaking and reading the text out loud. And I kind of paused a little bit because I realized, man, God was making me live that message. And so just this burden that, man, we have to stay connected with God. Um, that's our strength, and that's, that's where we find refuge. And so, yeah, I think that's what brought me to uh, preach the sermon.
1: Thank you, John. You are welcome.